Good morning, whether you're joining us on Zoom or YouTube this morning. Uh, it's great just looking at the screen to see all your all your lovely faces. Um, just following on from what, what was shared earlier, actually, just what Matt brought. Uh, I think it's good, actually, that we have that honesty. Uh, and I'd love to sit here and say this morning I've had, uh, got up and the sun was shining and the birds were tweeting. And it's just been one of those mornings I've had. I uh, Just from the get up, it's just been one of those mornings. And I went to make a cup of tea about 20 to 11. Because uh, just had a bit of a sore throat this week, and uh, as I was stood at the sink, I thought, "Oh, it's a bit cold in here." So I said, "Han, we need to put the heating on." Look down, and there's a huge puddle of water, and the sink is leaking. And anyway, so I've done a Bob the Builder job on it. So we'll see how it holds. If my screen starts washing away, you know I've done a rubbish job. Uh, but it's just been one of those mornings. But do you know what? Regardless of of how our weeks have been, regardless of how we're feeling, it's important that before we come to the Word of God, we lay that to one side. Uh, and just welcome God here and lay those burdens onto the Lord. So if you just bow your heads with me, just as, as we pray before we start. Father God, Lord, we love you. Lord, that you are all sufficient for us, that you are our everything. That we live our lives to glorify you first and foremost, Father God. And we are weak beings when we come down to it, Lord God. And Lord, we just pray, Father God, that you would continue to be our strength, our peace that you are our hope. And let's be reminded of that. Let's remind one another of that daily. You are our hope. You are our all. Father, just however we're feeling right at this moment, Lord God, whether we're flustered, whether we're feeling tired, whether we're feeling top of the world, Lord God, anxious, Lord, we just lay that before you now, Father God. You know how we felt. You've been here. You've walked amongst us, Father. Help us feel your peace, Father God. Help our hearts be teachable this morning as we explore your word, Father God. Let us glorify you in everything that we do, Father God. Hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. So it's important uh, after we've prayed that, uh, and ask God to prepare our hearts, sorry, that we look at any scripture in its context. That's key. This helps us to see its purpose why it was being written, the audience, who the author was addressing, and also any background information or undercurrents that shed light on the scripture that we're looking at. What we don't want to do is, and I talked about this before, that what we don't want to do is simply just cherry pick a scripture out of context. It's important that we look at it within its context and we grapple with it within that realm. Ultimately, this helps us to understand the words written and also glorifies the Lord as our understanding of him grows. Now, as a church, uh, we recently finished the book of Acts, which was a long one, but really encouraging just to see all that was going on. And we've now started working through the book of 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus sorry, are commonly referred to as the pastoral epistles. The reason for this is because all three letters were written to young pastors, believed to be Paul, whom he loved as sons. And we see that Paul was this gifted evangelist and church planter who would storm into cities, often causing a riot, lead droves of people to Christ, plant a church and then leave sometimes in a matter of weeks. And it was then someone's job to organise what was left 
and he would often send in two of his trusted friends, Timothy or Titus, to clean up what was left, appoint leaders and run off heretics. Now, the letter we're looking at today was believed to have been written between AD 62 and AD 63. Uh, and the occasion of this letter is that Paul has left Timothy in charge of quite a difficult situation in Ephesus, where false teachers, probably local elders, are leading people astray with false teaching. Therefore, Paul is writing to the whole church through Timothy in order to strengthen Timothy and help prevent these people leading others astray. When we know this in its context, it helps give a very good understanding of the words that we are reading in this letter this morning. Our author is trying to prevent false teaching, <clears throat> keep unity in the church and strengthen the body of Christ. And this context, it also helps us to understand what has gone on before what we're looking at today. We see in 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul greets Timothy with a salutation. He then reminds Timothy of his duty in verses 3-20 to 20 to stop false teaching. In Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 2 verses 1-15, to 15, Paul is then reminding Timothy on community matters such as behaviour in meetings. And in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1-7, to 7, we see Paul addressing the characteristics of overseas or elders. And as we look at each of these sections, we can really see this context that we have discussed permeating throughout the writing. And so today we're going to be exploring the next section after all this has happened, which is 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 to 13. So if you've got your Bible, it's 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 to 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> we see here Paul is specifically talking about deacons. So I suppose our, our natural question would be, what is a deacon? The word deacon is a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos. Apologies, my Greek pronunciation isn't great, which simply means a servant. It's likely that the origin of deacons emerged in the early church from Acts 6. If you've got your Bibles, just turn to Acts 6 for me. I'm just going to have a look. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should be giving up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They, these, they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts 6, 1 to 7, we see the early church is established and, and rapidly growing. And as the church grew, this issue emerged between the two groups within the church. We have the Hellenists, who were the diaspora Jews. They were Jews who had been exiled from Israel. And they were complaining that the Hebrews were neglecting their widows in the food distribution. To combat this, they met prayed and seven deacons were appointed to oversee the duty, this duty that was an issue. That was Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicolaus. And their role was to distribute the food and oversee this matter in order to free the apostles to continue teaching and spreading the word. Now it's really important that we just stop here and reflect on that. What we are seeing here is Paul encouraging roles within the church. Now, this can elicit, kind of pull out a number of responses from people, depending on your experiences. Some might say, that just seems a bit too organised for me, too religious. We don't need structure, we just need Jesus. Yes, that's right, we do need Jesus. He's all sufficient, he is our sustainer. However, as we see throughout scripture, Humans are fickle. We lose our way easily. We let pride and, and selfish desires and infighting cloud our judgment and decision making. Examples we see in Exodus 32. Whilst Moses ascended the hill, the people began worshipping a golden calf in representation of the Egyptian god Apis. Solomon, a man well known who was blessed with great wisdom in 1 Kings 11 turned from the Lord. He had his head turned. We see countless examples of where people are left to it, lose their way. Another example could be that people like too much structure, which leads to almost dogmatic restrictions. And Paul's intention was neither of these. The whole purpose of having elders and deacons is to organise but strengthen the spread of the gospel. Elders are to oversee and shepherd the flock as Jesus so faithfully shepherds us. Deacons are to work with the elders in furthering the gospel, supporting them, working together as a, as a unified team with a common goal to glorify and spread the hope we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. So the next obvious question would be, well, what might a deacon's role look like then in a modern church? Some examples. This isn't definitive. There are countless examples we could give here. Could be supporting administration tasks. Overseeing teams. Assisting with those good old rotors that we all love. Caring for the poor and needy. Serving in other roles. Tech teams, distributing of items. The list goes on. Now, it's important to note here as well that this isn't about one having a greater label. 
This isn't about one being greater than the other. This isn't about status at all. Both are needed, elders, deacons, and other roles to effectively spread the gospel. Paul addressed this issue in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 30. He says, for the body does not one consist of one member, but many. In the same chapter in verse 22, he later says that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If there was no Paul, the Christians would have lacked potentially a skillful evangelist. If there were no deacons, who would have dealt with all that happened after Paul had left? Who would have established caring for the poor? Who would have overseen food distribution, checking people were okay? These roles are, are complementary, all part of the same body, functioning as servants for Christ. Each with different giftings, but using them for the Lord. Jesus was clear. He said in Mark 11, 42 to 45, and Jesus called to, the, to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As a body here together, we are called to serve one another in different ways, to love one another, to lift one another up. Jesus set the example in John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet, the Son of God washing our feet. So that the role of a deacon, the role of an elder, as Rob talked about um, before, isn't for status, but to serve others. And what a privilege that is. What a joy that is. What an honour to serve the Lord and serve the body. And what we can infer from how Paul talks about both roles and also any other role in the church, for, for a matter of fact, is that it needs to be taken seriously. Why? First and foremost, because we are representing Christ to others. Elders would share the gospel, preach and oversee the well-being of the church, imitating Christ, who is the ultimate shepherd. If one was to be seen as being hypocritical or not thought of well, as Rob talked about, by outsiders, then it would bring the name of Christ into disrepute. Same with deacons. Deacons would have a visible job. They would take care of the practical administration of the church. Therefore, taking it seriously is key. And as we see, as, as Rob talks about with the, the requirements of eldership, Paul also here lists qualifications for deacons people who serve within specific roles within the church. Now, it's important to note here that this isn't simply a case of, of a tick list. This here is more than that. This is about a character. 
how we conduct ourselves, our hearts, who our hearts are for. It would be easy to look at this and say, yeah, I don't really aspire to be an elder or a deacon. Therefore, they don't really apply to me. However, I personally would argue that these character traits that Paul talks about would be fantastic for us all to aspire to. In verse eight, we're told that deacons should not be double tongued. So what is meant by this? Gossip, slander, complaining. A double tongue is a symptom of a double heart. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversations always be full of grace. Ephesians 4, 29 tells us that not to let any wholesome talk, unwholesome talk, sorry, that would be difficult. Unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only for what is helpful and building people up. Proverbs 15, 4 tells us that a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Could go on. When we gossip, when we slander, when we complain, when we moan, when we backstab, it causes division. Deacons who were serving had to constantly be on guard of this. I don't know if you've ever completed uh, admin tasks, um, maybe rotors, uh, and rotors change quite a lot. Uh, there's often last minute hiccups with organisation, even the best laid plans. People might not show up. And it would in that moment, wouldn't it, to be frustrated and gossip or slander. But that isn't edifying. That isn't showing the gospel. Think about how we talk at home, in church, at work, with our friends. Are we peace bringers or are we joining in the gossip? Are we stoking the fire or extinguishing it? Two key verses that I read as I was preparing this hit the nail on the head. And I love these two verses. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offence. Whoever fosters love covers over an offence. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Just take a moment there. The last time you had an offence, did you cover over it with love? I'll hold my hands up and say I've not always done that. Proverbs 26, 20 reads, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. If you serve in church, maybe in a deacon role or other ways, are you bringing peace to situations? In our workplaces, are we bringing peace to situations? In our day to day lives, are we peace bringers? I remember talking to a colleague a number of years ago uh, and just in a passing comment, we were talking about something um, that was quite private. And this is something that to do with somebody else at work. Uh, and, and they said to me, oh, I know I can tell you because I know you'll keep it to yourself. Now, that shocked me a little bit because I didn't walk around with a sign that said, I will keep all your secrets or I won't say anything. But people pick up on our character. People identify and spot and see Jesus in us. How we act portrays Jesus. How are we portrayed him to people, to one another? The next character trait in verse eight are all linked. We are told deacons should not be addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
And this is something as a culture we've wrestled with, particularly in England, we have a, a big drinking culture. It's ingrained within everything that we do, almost. We have more pubs than churches. And the Bible is very clear that being drunk as a Christian is not right. And this isn't because God is trying to spoil our fun, but this is to protect us. Ephesians 5, 8 tells us, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And we can't get much clearer than that, can we? We see examples in the Bible of drunkenness not going well for people. Noah in Genesis 9, 20 to 24 falls asleep drunk and naked, much to the shame of his family. Lot in Genesis 9, uh, Genesis, Genesis 19, sorry, fell asleep drunk and his wicked daughters took advantage of him. And so my question would be then, how does all this link to, to this role of serving of deacons within church? Well, think about what we've learned so far. Deacons are in, are in roles to serve the church, often administrative roles. They would have been in charge of distributing money. I was trying to find an example to show of, of what this might look like now. And most of us know Timothy Keller, uh, who's a real passionate social action, social justice um, talker. And he advocates looking after people. And, and so we did a bit of research into his church, the Redeemer Church. And they have a mercy fund where money is donated and is used to care for the poor. Since its inception of this mercy fund, the church has provided support to over 1,500 people just within the church, donating a total of $4.3 million. This has been used to feed the poor, pay rent, put roofs over heads, transport people, look after vulnerable people. And the key here is that the deacons at this church are responsible for overseeing this money. They oversee the financial distribution of the resources. They have the bank account. How money is spent? And when we go back to scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. When drunk, we make careless mistakes. We don't think clearly. Similarly, think about that. If deacons have control effectively over this vast amount of wealth if we allow any area for temptation to creep in it could be very easy if we're having a difficult financial time to, to just cream a little bit off the side maybe give an extra bit of money to somebody that we prefer we get along better with be careless this also applies in our in our own lives whether we serve in church or not if we give the enemy an inch, he will throw things at us to throw us off. He prowls. I was recently talking with somebody about this, this issue, actually, um, a couple of months ago, actually. Uh, and we were talking about this idea of, of getting drunk. And they said to me they didn't need to worry because they could, I quote, handle their drink. And my first reaction was, why would you even want to get close to that line? Why even put temptation in your way? As people of Christ, we're called to reflect Christ in all that we do. 
Are we showing Christ to those around us? Are we walking with integrity? Are we keeping guard of the enemy's attacks? These roles of deacons had important jobs. So Paul is warning them, do not give an inch for the enemy. As we read on, we are told of they must hold the mystery of the faith and that deacons are to be tested first. And this seems strange, this idea of being tested. Anyone who holds an office first is tested. Before someone becomes the prime minister, they're tested on their leadership levels at a local level. Before somebody can lead and manage a hospital, they're tested that they can lead a team well. Before somebody can lead in the distribution of resources and act as a deacon, Paul is saying here that they too must prove themselves first as blameless because this is a position with great responsibility. Does this mean that they get everything perfect? No. It's about that heart for God, first and foremost. Are they committed? Are they prepared to sacrifice? Will they make decisions based on their own interests or what is best for the gospel, even if that is sacrificial? Are they seeking personal praise or to glorify the Lord? And time is the best revealer of these qualities. When we think back to Acts 6, Stephen and the other acting deacons were picked because of their good repute, wisdom, and because they were full of the spirit. A very good trusted friend of mine who's led a number of churches said he would often receive requests from people in the church. The church should be doing this. We should be doing that. Why aren't we doing this? And he says he would always flip it on his head and say, well, would you be happy to try and lead that? Oh, that's great. Why don't you organise that? And he said eight out of nine times, uh, eight or nine times out of ten, sorry. They would either start and not finish it or they wouldn't even start it. And Paul is saying here that a deacon's quality shine through in their diligence. I read, I know I've shared this before, I read a fascinating article about Tim Hughes and it was identified from a, a very young age that he was a gifted worship leader. However, with great wisdom, uh, the elders and the leadership team thought rather than throw him in and ask him to lead the church, they asked him to just turn up on a Sunday and set up the chairs. The leadership team wanted to see his heart first. They knew he was gifted in worship but they wanted to see his heart was he prepared to serve first if anybody's ever put chairs out you know it's not a great job in a fun job is it but it's serving and that's what it comes down to our hearts over time true intentions always come out paul is imploring with timothy before we appoint these people check their hearts do they love jesus are they prepared to serve the people, even in the jobs that people don't deem as fun? For us all, as Christians, whether we serve as leaders, elders, deacons, or just attend, whether we do things behind the scenes, whether we look after children, whatever we do, 
We should strive to be people who are true to our word, who follow through, who are diligent in all our tasks. If we say we're going to do something, follow it through, commit. This is particularly hard for a young man. <clears throat> I have no doubt that it might have probably been the same in Paul's day, maybe a little bit different in some ways, but our culture encourages young men to be lazy, to sit around, to mooch around, spend all time watching Netflix, computer games, watching YouTube. But actually, we're called to be people who take responsibility. You may say, I'm not part of a team. True. But we still have a responsibility to show Jesus to others. If you're married, you have a responsibility to lead your family in the ways of Christ. If you're dating, you have a responsibility to set the foundations of your relationship in Christ. As young men, we have responsibility. Wives, if you're, if you're married, are you encouraging husbands to take responsibility and be godly? If you're dating, perhaps, are you encouraging them to lead you in the ways of God? Because if they're not doing it when you're dating, when they should be on the best behaviour, that would be some alarm bells. Are we encouraging one another as a church? Verses 11 and 12 touch on this in a little bit more detail. They read verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their households well. Paul here is asking, are they responsible with their homes? not just in church? Do they care well for their households? Do they look after others? Are they committed to their wives? And it's important to note here from all that we can gather that the role of deacon isn't just exclusive to men. We see Phoebe in Romans 16.1 acting in the role of a diaconan. The challenge here is that are those serving in the church in a deacon role, managing all areas of their lives well, or just the areas that people can see. And I'll hold my hands up, and I don't always get that right. Are we striving towards Jesus? And this doesn't mean that everything is going to go all right all the time. It doesn't mean that we have to constantly tick these checklists all the time. Your children don't have to be perfect. You should have seen me this morning. Your marriage doesn't have to be faultless. What Paul is outlining here is characteristics that we should be striving to work towards. When we think of Peter, I love Peter. He's a man after me own heart. He spent years watching Jesus, talking with him. Yet we still see he denied Jesus, lost his temper in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's about the heart. Do we truly love him? Do we truly care for the greater church or just our own selfish desires? Do we look after people? Are we responsible? Do we love him more than ourselves? Are we trustworthy? Are we reliable? As I was preparing, um, it would be easy for me to just finish there and say, right, there's the list. See you later, everyone. Um, but I didn't feel that was right. So 
I just wanted to just touch on something else as well. Um, just moving on, which I think links just to our current situation as well. I was reminded of the parable of the pounds in Luke 19, verses 11 to 27. I'm going to give you a really quick crash course on this, okay? But I'd encourage you to look at this yourself. We have a, a master, a nobleman, who goes away for a while to receive kingship. Now, the backdrop to this parable is that Herod the Great in 40 BC made a trip to Rome seeking an appointment as king. His request, his request sorry, was granted and he became king. His son later made the same journey for the same request. Now, the reason why Jesus chose this parable was because the people would have known this. So it was, a, it was a, an understandable context to the parable he was talking about. And when we see that he gave his servants the pounds, he was making a statement, a generous gift. He gave them equivalent of 100 days wages for the average working person. By giving them a gift, he was making a statement here. He said in verse 13, engage in business until I come. The Greek expression here, enho, used in this phrase literally means engage in trade until I return. The master was effectively saying here, use this gift, the gifts that I'm giving you wisely until I return. Now, for those of us who know our Bibles, we know that Jesus isn't just specifically talking about money. Within parables, there is a deeper level of understanding. And he's talking here about the gift of salvation, the blessings that he bestows upon us. And when we go back to the historical account of this. We see that Herod had his request granted and he became King Herod. But his son made the same journey and he did not. He was banished. These servants, when they received the money, had no idea whether this nobleman was going to return or not. And the safe option would have been to just bury this money, see what happens. If anyone else is appointed as king, happy days, you've still got the money. The more risky task would have been to use the money. People would have known that you'd have been given this great gift. Invest with it and then a new king appear and say, you served him. It's going to cause problems. But this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Whilst we wait for his return, we've been blessed with an abundance of gifts from him. First and foremost, the gift of salvation that none of us deserve. Yet he so freely hung on that cross for us. I'm looking at all your faces now. He loved you so much that he hung on that cross for you. You're a lovely lot. What's interesting to note is that when the master returns in verse 16, the servant, the first servant is not praised for his return and what he's made on the money, but his faithfulness. The word used here by the master in the Greek New Testament is the only use of this word. And he refreshed it now and he requested, bear with me now, my Greek is pretty poor. So I'm going to have a go with this. I've had to break it down. Dear Prague, Matteo Sanso. Yeah, I did that quite well. This is the only time that this word is used. Not how much they'd earned, but rather how much business they had conducted. 
What have they done in this time? And you see, the challenge here is that one day the father will ask us that same question too. We will all have to give an account of what we have done. And we don't work on a works-based faith. Let's get that clear. But we are all to give an account of our lives to the Father. We've been blessed with the free gift of salvation. We've also been blessed with gifts in other ways. Administration, evangelism, caring for people, hospitality. How are we using these gifts? You might not even know that you have a gift. But are you giving your chance, yourself a chance sorry, to explore the gifts that God has given you? Now more than ever, we have a, a real opportunity to use the gifts that we have. First and foremost, the grace that Jesus gave us to share that hope we have with other people. Think about our current context that we're in, in the middle of a pandemic. People are feeling low. People are losing jobs. The prediction for job loss is incredible. People are feeling lost and alone and looking for answers. Whatever skills we have, the master, Jesus, will one day ask us, how have we used them? Are we using them? And I just really wanted to encourage you at this time that all of you, as I look at you again, have all got different giftings. Those on YouTube, if you're listening or listening after, We've all been blessed with giftings. We can use them to share the confident hope we have in Christ Jesus. Let's encourage one another to step up and use our giftings. That might not be in the role of a deacon. That might just be day to day. If you feel that you're strong in a particular area and want to serve the church, come and let us know. God is so good. God loves us so much. We have such a great hope in Christ. Let's be quick to share it with people. Let's be quick to tell people about how good he is for us and what he has done for us. Let's be quick to serve one another as a body of believers. If one is struggling, let's care for them. I've been really encouraged during this time, during, uh, since we went into our first lockdown of, of the generosity of different people within our church that often goes un unheard of, of people just stepping up and, and blessing one another with, with money, with, with cooking, with gifts. We see in Acts that when people saw the early church, they were distinguishable by their love for one another. Let's use our gifts to glorify the Lord. Let's use our gifts to sing his praise this morning. I just want to just, just pray for you all just before I finish. I uh, just really want to pray for you all, actually. So if you'd just like to bow your heads, whether you're listening on YouTube or, or after or, or now, I just really want to pray for you all. Father God, Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. And Lord, we first of all lift those up who are appointed, as Rob talks about, as, as elders, Lord God. That's a thankless task in the churches in our city and our nations, Lord God. But Lord God, we pray 
for those who are leading churches, those who are elders, Lord God, that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, Father God. Lead them. Let them stay close to you, Father God. Give them the wisdom to navigate these difficult times. Let their hunger for you grow each day, Father God. Lord, we lift our own uh, our leaders before you, Lord God, Keith, Father God, and Rachel. Father God, that you bless them with an abundance of wisdom, with the patience, the peace, the kindness, the self-control, the joy of the Lord would overflow out of them, Lord God. Be with them. Help them to lead us well. Lord, we pray for those acting as deacons, Father God, who take on those day-to-day -day jobs, who serve us so faithfully. Kelly, who cleans the church so wonderfully without complaining every week. There are many others, Lord God. Lizzie, who handles the rotors. I'm not going to go through all of them now, Father God, but we've got many people in our church who serve faithfully behind the scenes. And they do that for praise from you, not for man's praise, Father God. And we lift them up before you, Lord God. There are many people who serve well in our church. Lord God, I pray specifically, Father God, as well, for those who feel they might have a gift in, but are nervous, maybe anxious. Maybe they don't have the self-confidence to have a go. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them with a, with a, a courage to step up and serve at this time. The workers are few, but the harvest is many. Lord God, help us to encourage one another to step out in our gifts. And ultimately, however we serve, Father God, let it not be to bring praise upon ourselves, but to glorify the wonderful name of Christ Jesus, who is our all, who is everything, who is the ultimate example of servant heartedness. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Just want to say to you, if you feel that you have a skill, I know Dave sent a questionnaire out recently, and um, just while I'm thinking in my head, um, if you have a skill that you want to serve with, let one of us know. If you feel that there's something that you'd like to explore, you maybe feel you might have a, a gift in, in, in helping that way, let us know. And let's be encouragers of one another to step up in our community groups, in our day-to-day -day lives. Let's encourage one another to glorify Jesus in our giftings. Oh, I love you all. It's great to see all your faces. God bless you all. And I'll continue praying for you.